You want to open your Bibles up to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter. We'll be reading from there in just a moment. While you take the time to turn to that passage and follow along with us as we study from God's Word, I'd like to take a moment to repeat what has already been said. It is so good for us to be here, and it's wonderful for us to be gathered together to serve and, and worship and praise God. And this is a place where we oftentimes feel the most joy, feel the most uh, comfort. But for some people in some places in the world, that is not always the case. There's some things that, that I want to think about this afternoon that I believe are not just a, a staple of our, of our culture and our society, but they've been a, a problem that the world has faced since the beginning. Uh, and I want to look at it through the lenses that we read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 6. There it says, Because for every matter there is a time and a judgment. Though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen, so... Who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. No one has power in the day of death. There is no release from, the, from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. When I, then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily through the heart of the sons of men, uh, excuse me, though the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that I will be well with those who fear God. I apologize again. I'm having a hard time reading this this morning afternoon. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. October 1st, 2017, a man by the name of Stephen Paddock murdered 58 people in Las Vegas, injuring over 500 as he fired into a crowd of concert goers gathered together to enjoy an evening of, of music and entertainment. That is one terrible act in a long, long list of times where men did things that cannot be described in any other way than evil. Serial murders, rapists, arsonists, terrorists. It has become so, fact and, uh, or so prevalent, in fact, that it can easily be said that we can become numb to these things. We hear about this on the news and we just kind of shrug our shoulders. It, it, it happened again. It takes our breath away sometimes, but it really just, it just seems to be something that we are growing used to. And once again, these unspeakable horrors have entered into our hearts uh, and hearing upon the tragedy of what happened in Texas last Sunday morning. But even though these things have become prevalent and these things happen it's more and more seemingly more and more often what we want to know and the answers that we or the question that we are often asking is why why did this happen and why couldn't it have been stopped and since then then since that question seemingly is is on our the mind so much what the people what people want to do is they want to find a place to attribute blame and i've heard so many things blamed for the occurrences that have happened in, the, in, in recent past, people have blamed guns. Guns are the problem. 
People have blamed drugs. It's the, the psychedelics that these people were taking. The, there, there's a, a blaming of psychological problems and mental health. And there are schools that are being blamed. And there are parents that are being blamed. And yes, there are even people blaming God for what has happened. In fact, if we look in Psalm chapter 10, we see that's not really that new occurrence. Psalm chapter 10, the psalmist writes, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? See, what we're looking for is somewhere to put the blame so that can be our rallying point. We can find something that at least for a moment we can choose to try to make changes. And it really doesn't matter what has changed. It really doesn't matter what we pick is going to be the, the, the focus of our, our efforts to change. As long as we can get something changed, then we can feel as if we did something to solve the problem. Then we can feel a little bit better about ourselves, at least until the next time it happens. But there is a, a prevailing thought that comes out of this. This is the thought I really want to think about today. Because it's not, not a thought that I believe anyone here is probably struggling with, but as we go throughout our lives, as we testify of our belief in God and what He has done in our lives, we're going to find people that are going to ask this question. If there is evil in the world, then doesn't that prove that God just doesn't exist? This is something that many atheists would like to imagine. Because evil things happen, because, because people are killed, well, doesn't that prove that, that, that God just is, is something that is not real? If God is who you say He is and is what He is, then, then doesn't it prove that if there's evil in the world, that God just can't exist? I think it's good for us to reverse the argument for a minute, though, because evil is in the world. We can look all around us and see large-scale evil, like what has happened in these, in these mass murders and the terrible things that we see uh, happening. Just last week, two, two young girls lost their life in a shooting in Winchester. Terrible things, just, just wicked things. But amongst all of that evil, we also see righteousness. So if, there is, if evil is so prevalent, why is there righteousness? Where does righteousness come from? And since righteousness exists, does that, does that therefore uh, give us the conclusion that evil doesn't exist? And what we see is that one extreme doesn't, doesn't paint the, the existence of the other extreme. It cannot preclude it. But the answer to that so often is, well, wait a minute, though. Okay, so you're saying that just because evil exists, the, the fact that righteousness exists proves that there is a God. But I go back to say, you've told me your God is omnipotent, all-powerful. So if he's supposed to be all-powerful, then why didn't he do something? You see, there's an assumption in the world today that limitless power means absolute control. And I believe the reason we have that thought is because limitless power in the hands of humans typically means absolute control. You give human enough power, you give man enough power, and usually what's going to rise out of that is a dictatorship. Someone that has all the control and he can make all the decisions. That's typically what men do with power. But it's not what God does with power. And the question so many people want to ask though is, well, why doesn't God stop these things? Why didn't God stop that man from going into that, that church building and killing those people? Why didn't God stop that man from going into that hotel and shooting all those people in Las Vegas? Why doesn't he do something about that? When we have that attitude, what we're trying to do is we're trying to draw a line. Saying this right here is something that God needs to do something about. My question for that though is, well, how do we judge where to draw that line? 
Certainly, people of the world would love to draw that line with stopping murder. He needs to stop murder. If he's, if he's an all-powerful God, he should be stopping murder. But what about well, stopping thieves? Yeah, that'll be good too. Let's stop all the thieves in the world. We don't want people... There's Right here, last, last winter, we had a, a warning. Don't leave your cars running because there was somebody stealing cars. What about stopping adultery? Well, for most of the world, most of the people are going to say, yeah, I'm all about that. Let's stop adultery. But there'll be some, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're stepping on my, on my toes a little bit. What about stopping lying? Now, wait a minute. Lying is not that big a deal. Is, that, is it really that wrong to, to, to lie? No, I don't think God should stand. In. I want a little bit of free will. You see, the question that people really wanted to do is say, why doesn't God just create a place where there's no evil and let me define what's evil and what's not evil. Well, one, he doesn't let you define what's evil and what's not evil because you don't have the ability to find that. You don't have the standard to find that. It's subjective in your eyes. But number two, God is creating a place where there is no evil. We read about it over in Revelation 21, verses 25 through 27. He talks about the gates on the outside of the, uh, of the, the city of heaven as he is building it. And these, these gates are never closed. There's no reason for them to be closed because evil cannot enter in. God is creating a place where there is no evil. And this short life that we have on this earth is filled with battles with evil that qualify us for entering into eternal life where evil cannot exist. Now, to be very clear, qualification does not preclude God's grace. Qualification includes God's grace because without that grace, we wouldn't be able to to begin to even hope to fight these battles. God gives us what we, what we need to fight the battle and says, go to work. It comes down to the fact that God chose, I'm going to make men and I'm going to make them with free will. And if we take away bad choices from man, we're taking away free will. If I go to the boys tonight and I say, we're going to have, we're going to have broccoli for dinner, or you can have, if you don't want that, you can have broccoli for dinner. Your choice, whichever one you want. Really, pick one. I've taken away their choice. They have no free will in that. God in choosing man and in creating man chose to give him free will. Free will to make the decisions that honor him and free will to make the decisions that honor the world, that honor Satan. And I have to admit, I have to admit that I'm thankful that God made man that way. I'm glad that God made me that way. I'm glad that God made Holly that way. When she does something kind, when she does something that shows her love for me or for our children, I can know that it's not just because she was programmed that way. I can know that it's not just because uh, a thousand different genes throughout history came together just right to create a chemical imbalance in her head that makes her treat me this way. She chose to do that. We choose to do good, righteous things, and we choose to do bad, wicked things, but we have a choice to do what we will. That kind of makes life a little bit sweeter. But then we oftentimes look back and say, but wait a minute, all throughout the Bible, God is supposed to be the protector of the innocent, isn't he? I mean, look over at Psalm 72. Psalm 72, doesn't it say that? Doesn't it tell us that God is going to be protecting the innocent from, from all sorts of evil things? Nothing bad's going to happen to the innocent? Psalm 72, verse 4, they say, He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy, and He will break in pieces the oppressor. But the implication in that verse then 
if he is bringing justice to the poor of the people and he is breaking pieces of the oppressor, it implies something has already happened. The implication is that harm has already been done and God is seeing to it that proper justice is done in response. Other passages, Psalms 116 verse 6 was, was quoted by a, a rabbi, a, a Jewish priest, Shmuley Botique. He said, the Lord is the keeper of little ones. I was humbled and he delivered me. Psalms 116.6. Unfortunately, that's not what Psalm 116.6 says. Psalms 116 verse 6 says, The Lord preserved the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. The context of verses uh, of this passage we find in reading verses 1 through 9 is seen in David being rescued from affliction. But David wasn't rescued from affliction relying on his own knowledge, but on relying on from God. In fact, God humbled David so that he would learn to rely on God, and that reliance saved him. The passage isn't about protecting children. The passage isn't about protecting the innocent. The passage is about humbling yourself or being humbled and relying upon God. Emphasis then not on saving the the, the physical man, but the salvation of the soul. And that brings us back to our point. The fact is, evil people exist in this world. Psalms chapter 10 again, we mentioned that one. Let's go back and read a little bit more from that Psalms. Psalm chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. It says, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the village. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. Evil people do and have always existed in God's creation. All the way back in the beginning, we find evil. We find Satan's influences causing people to make choices that are not reflecting of, of God. And the reason they exist is because they have rejected God. Psalms 10, verses 2 through 6 says, The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have deceived, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. The reason we have evil people in this world, the reason that we deal with evil is because evil people exist by refusing to follow God, by rejecting God for who He is. But oftentimes that's really just, that's not the answer that people are looking for. No one wants to hear, no one wants to hear that the the reason these murders happen, the reason that these terrible things are done in this earth is because someone has rejected God when such a large percentage of our population rejects God and knows they reject God in many different ways. That can't be the answer. The answer can't be that we need to turn to God. The answer has to be that we have to control this somehow. We have to find ways to do that. But let's just, let's just play along. Let's just say, fine. Fine. The problem is they rejected God. But why does that have to make a difference for the innocent? Can't God do something to prevent the consequences of sin? Can't he do something to protect the innocent? 
And again, that's the question that's being asked. Didn't God promise to protect from evil? All of Psalms 121, it doesn't that seem like that's the conversation that is going on there? Protecting, protection from evil? Maybe we should consider this for a moment. Would it be murder? Would it have been murder if this man went into the, the church building in Texas? The man goes in there, and he pulls out his gun, and he starts shooting people, but nobody's hurt. Nobody is harmed. The world would kind of say that's no harm, no foul. Nothing was done. No one was harmed. No blood was shed. No law was broken. But what kind of people would we be? What kind of people would we be if the thoughts and the motives of our heart that leads a person to go and to take a gun and to take a life or, or to take something from someone that does not belong to them, to injure someone, what kind of world would we be? What kind of people would we be if we were protected from all harm by others? I'll give you an example of that. <clears throat> you can see it. You can see it in children when parents protect them. When parents protect children from bad grades. They made a bad grade. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. That's all right. You're, you're, you didn't study. You didn't prepare for this test. You didn't listen to the teacher. But it's okay. You can't do anything wrong. Bad choices. You... You stole something, you got caught, oh, it's okay, I'll pay for it, I'll take care of it. it, When parents repeatedly protect their children from the bad choices they make and there's no consequence for that, you know what they become? Society calls them brats. Society calls them spoiled. Over in Ecclesiastes, he talks about them, chapter 8, verse 11, says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. When there's no consequences for bad actions, when there's no consequences for things that are done, what we find, as strange as it may seem, is that the people become more evil. If there's no consequences for what happened in, in Las Vegas, if there's no consequences for what happened in, in, in the church in Texas, there's no consequences for what happened when, when someone goes out and rapes or someone goes out and kills or steals the world around us becomes more and more evil. And I'm not just talking about consequences in the fact that the, the government is going to impose things. What I'm saying is hardships that come from people's decisions, when we don't face those hardships, when we have nothing to overcome, then the Hebrew writer tells us we won't make the, the decisions, the choices that actually improve our lives. Look over at Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8 says, And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seeming best to them, but he for our profit, that we may, become partake, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, 
but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, the Hebrew writer is not writing this in regards to someone that's going to go out and murder somebody. God does not chasten us through sin. He doesn't place sin into our into someone's heart so that we might learn a lesson from that. But what we learn in that is when we experience trials, when we experience hardships, those things cause something within us. They cause us to reflect. They cause us to look to God. They cause us to choose to improve ourselves. Hardships, grief, fighting against evil, it brings out the best in people. For 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about a, a changed perspective. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. There he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, what was his thorn in the flesh? I don't have a clue. I don't care to know. I don't have to know. Because all I know is it was something that was a persecution to him. It was a hardship on him. It was from Satan. I can know for certain that it wasn't sin. God wasn't saying, you just keep going right along in that sin. My grace is going to cover it. No, everything that Paul taught, taught directly against that. But whatever it was, whatever this hardship that he was dealing, God's message to him was you need to change your perspective. You are looking and asking to me, well, you take this away. Why do I have to have this? Isn't there something you can do? And God was saying, I don't have to do anything about that problem. My grace will give you strength. It will be made perfect in your weaknesses. That is changed perspective. In 1 Peter, Peter talks about perspective. 1 Peter 5, verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffering, suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Our views, our thoughts, our actions are changed just as Paul's were changed by experiencing hardships, by going through them and coming out stronger and recognizing that even in the presence of evil, God can produce good. We read this verse in class this morning, Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The passage doesn't say all things work together for good to those who love God unless it's in a really evil situation and then it's just bad. It says all things, not some things, not a few things, all things work together for good to those who love God. And I, I want to suggest that we see that. We see Romans 8 working. Romans 8 in action in the world today. Because the world knows what was done was evil. And people are now making choices 
as a result to reject evil. People see these things that are going on and it spurs them to change. And maybe not the change that we would like to see. Maybe not the change that, that is going to bring them into a good relationship with Christ. But it's a start. It's a movement that we need to be prepared to, to, to try and to, to talk about and to lead people in the right manner. And so that is why, for example, at, right after these things happened, right after this happened last week, this week we, we celebrate Veterans Day. That's why we memorialize the people who have fought and the people who have, who have given their lives to, to fight what the government has viewed and deemed as evil, the things that have been threatening to, to a country and to, to peace and to harmony. And I want to suggest that it's possible even the gunman recognized that what he did was wrong. Maybe he thought he could escape the consequences by taking his life. Maybe he thought he would be, he would be spared the consequences of his actions. But what I want to point out is when evil is done in the world, more often than not, and, and for just a moment, let's just pause Fox News and CNN and, and all the things because they get their money and they get their marketing based off how much they can get people to watch. And getting people to watch, people going out and doing good deeds doesn't get people to watch. People going out and murdering and killing gets people to watch. And so if that's where we're getting, if that's all we're getting our news from is just focusing on that, and we're not going to see this. But when evil is done, good people step up. Good people react. 9-11, a handful of terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Centers, into the Pentagon, killed thousands of people. That's all we heard. That's all we talked about for a while. But you know, for years after that, years, that went on. The, the, the rebuilding went on for years, but, but the, the shock and the pain felt by that was all they talked about for months and months on the news. But for years after that, you had people who were saying, as a nation, we need to turn back to God. It started something in America where people started to look at themselves and say, maybe what we're doing is not right. Maybe we need to make the right steps. We need to look hard when evil things happen, and we need to try and find that God can work all things for good for those who love Him. Protection is promised to the righteous, and perseverance of life is promised, but it's promised to those who recognize that we're talking about persecution and, and salvation from sin, from doing ungodly, unrighteous things. In fact, God did not promise a life without tragedy and without grief. 2 Corinthians 1, we read there that he promised comfort in the face of that tragedy, and in the face of that grief. So when we get so upset about what has happened, and I think that's the, that's the right attitude to have, to be upset. But let's not forget who is to blame. God makes people upright. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Look at another verse from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29. It says, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, because they have sought out, uh, but they have sought out many schemes. God makes men upright. He makes people upright. And he can make murderers, 
and, and rapists and arsonists and all of these things that we have, we have labeled as really bad sins, he can make them upright. Did you know that one of America's most prolific serial killers, Jeffrey Dahmer, was baptized in 1994? He was baptized in 1994, the year before his death, by the hands of fellow prisoners. He called a, a preacher up the road. He said, I've been reading my Bible. I need to be baptized. I need to be saved from my sins. And I don't have a clue what Jeffrey Dahmer's life was like at the point of his death. And that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is that God can work even in the most heinous, most awful things that have been done. He can work good. He teaches men to live righteously. He is the one who said, do not murder. Jeremiah 22, he said, do not murder. And he is the one who said, the killing of innocents is an abomination to me. It is disgusting. I hate it. But also in Jeremiah 22, he's the one that says the evil, wicked people are ones who just ignore God. Ones who will do what they want to do because that's what they want to do. The evil one deceives himself into thinking that God doesn't care the actions that I take. So let's make sure that we put the blame solely where it belongs. When these tragedies occur and we want to look and say, oh, that's, that's a problem because of all the left-wing nonsense or the right-wing nonsense or, or that's a problem because schools aren't doing the right thing or parents aren't doing the right thing. No, the problem is because people, these tragedies occur because people and men and the world have turned their backs on God. They've turned away from His truth. Let's stop blaming other things and let's stop blaming other people. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says it as, as pointedly as it can possibly say, the man who sins will die. We read that in our scripture reading this morning. And De Deuteronomy said the same thing. It wasn't new then. It's not new now. The man who sins will die because he is responsible for his actions because he has turned from God. So what we really need to examine, what we really need to be spending our time thinking about is not, well, how are we going to blame this, this, or this? Why does God allow this to happen? What we really need to be doing is saying, how can I teach other people around me not to choose evil? I don't think for a second that any action that I did in my lifetime could have any impact on that 26-year-old man who went in and murdered all those people. But I can have an impact on the people around me. And they can have an impact on the people around them. And we can see how that ripples and spreads and grows. And it starts with that one thought. What can I do? Right here in Kentucky, in, in, in Nicholasville, what can I do to help the people around me choose to do right? Over and over again, we're told we're not going to be isolated from evil. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the, of the wheat and the tares. We were hearing that parable from Jesus' own words that we are going to grow up. We are going to be planted. The enemy plants, plants tares in our midst, and we are going to grow up right along with that. We're going to grow up right beside evil. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, turn over there with me. That passage there shows us that evil is going to prevail when it, become, when it comes to which will be done more. Evil is going to be more prevalent than good. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 
says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. It is a highway leading into that, in that path. But verse 14 says, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We need to understand that. That's going to be the life that we live in. There will be more people choosing to do evil than choosing to do righteousness. Micah chapter 7, verse 2 talked about how difficult it was to find a good man. And 1 Corinthians 16 tells us that that's what God calls us to be. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14. In a world filled with evil, in a world where it is difficult to look and to find a good person, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I'm sorry, I should have stopped at verse 14. And it tells us to be to be stand strong in the faith, to be brave, to be strong, and let all that we do be done with love. There's a reason for that. And the reason is because most of the world around us isn't going to choose that. We have to be that example. We have to be that light. Romans 12, verse 9, abhor that which is evil, hate that which is evil, and cling, hold on to what is good, and know that justice will come. We read in the book of Psalms in verse 10, the world has lost its fear of God. That is the reason they choose to do these things. That is the reason that, that any evil is done, whether it be lying, whether it be terrorism, whatever. And, and first of all, that scale puts those on the same level. We need to keep that in mind. But, but whatever evil is done, it is done because the world has lost its fear of God, lost its fear of who He is, of His holiness, and His coming judgment. They want to think about God's love. And that's all that we like to think about. That's all that is often talking, talked about. But over in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer in chapter 10, he says we need to do more than think about God's love. We need to also think about His wrath. In verse 30 and 31, it says, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So when, when people come to you, and these terrible things have happened, and you're, you're talking about God, and you're, you're proclaiming your belief in God, and they say, well, how, how can that be? How can that be? I, why do these things happen? Why does evil happen? Why do people do evil things? You can tell them the same answer that I have, and that is, I don't know. I don't know all the answers as to why people choose to do those things. I know what it is. It is a turning from God, but I don't know why. But I do know this. I do know that Romans chapter 11 tells us that for his part, God knows what he's doing. He has his end of the deal tacked down. It says in verse 33, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has become His counselor? What we really need to see, whenever these terrible things happen to us, 
Whenever, whenever we are experiencing this happening in the world today, we need to see that this is a call. This is an opportunity for us to open our eyes and to look around and see there is a battle raging in our families. There is a battle raging in our communities. There is a battle raging in our country. And it's time for us to join that war. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We will endure these things. When these things come close to home, whenever, whenever something happens that, that directly touches us, yes, we will be, be filled with sorrow, and we will have questions, and we will wonder why, but we will know that we serve a God who knows what He's doing. We serve a God whose grace is sufficient for our weakness. And we're going to help the world see that in our lives, in our actions, in our deeds, in our words. There's two things I really want you to remember this afternoon. We mustn't let the terrible things that happen in this life lead us into despair and into doubt. Whenever something happens, there are usually there are usually two choices in front of us. There's usually two choices. There is one that says, I need to be afraid. I need to be filled with fear. I need to be filled with doubt. What's going on? How am I supposed to do anything in this life when you have people that are this crazy and, this is, and, and people that are, are, are willing to do these terrible things? What can I do? What difference can I make? What we need to see is Satan loves to work in a time like this. Satan is on, is, is on call whenever men are doing evil, wicked things because he knows this is the time to strike. When someone's heart is hurting, this is the time to sink my claws in and to try and lock them up. And unfortunately, fear is the tool in which he uses to do that. And that is a mighty, mighty tool that he has. And we need to realize that when we see that fear, when we have those doubts and those worries that are gripping us, that is not from God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 tells us, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We need to recognize when terrible things happen, that God is in control and He has given us a spirit of power. We can overcome. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, the second thing that I want you to take away from this sermon is we have to be ready. We have to be prepared to make a defense for our hope. So oftentimes our thoughts go in a time like this to I got to be prepared, I got to be ready to make a defense of my livelihood of my property, of my of whatever might come my way that's going to hurt me or my family or these things. We need to be prepared to make a defense for the hope that we have. That's what God tells us. And that implies, like our, my last point, that we have hope. We need to look to these things and realize God is still in control. God is still able to work good in a situation like this. And then we need to use that hope to open the doors for others to see like we see. 
need to talk about what happened last Sunday and what happened in October and what has happened at any time that will come in the future. We need to talk about those things and how terrible those things were and remind them that there is a God who loves them. And there is a God who sees evil going on in this world. And there is a God that is preparing a place for those who will belong to him to never have to be impacted by that evil again. But he's also preparing a place for the wicked. And he will vindicate the oppressed by punishing the oppressor. You must remember Hebrews says it is a terrible, terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This afternoon, do you need to turn from evil? You might think in my heart, I didn't go into a church building. I didn't murder anybody. I haven't done any of these terrible things. But as we've read, evil, these evil things are simply the result of turning from God, turning my thoughts away from Him, giving in to fear, giving in to, to worry and doubt, giving in to lust, giving in to, to any of these things that we typically say, oh, these are just little tiny sins. We might feel that our life is pretty good. But Jesus, the sins that we categorize as small, Jesus paid a high price to forgive. He gave his life so that you and so that I could be free from these sins. To commit them again and again makes us guilty of his shed blood. And at the same time, at the same time, a need to be made innocent once more. Is there something we can do to help you this afternoon? If you have not yet become a child of God by, by confessing your belief in Him, turning away from sin and being baptized to be made free from those sins, there's water here. We are prepared. We are ready to assist. But if you've already done that and you've realized that in your life you have repeatedly you've turned from God and you need to stop that and you are ready to walk down a path of righteousness, but you would like the, the help of the saints here, accountability for us to hold one another to that. We stand ready to stand here with you and to pray with you and to walk this walk together in righteousness, helping the world see the love of God and His holiness. Whatever we can do to help you, won't you please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.